Brother, how you doing? Very well. I cannot complain. How are you? Yeah, it's it's been one of those weeks, as I, I've mentioned, that just felt like there wasn't enough time in the day. And sometimes that's a good thing, sometimes that's a bad thing. It's a good thing because sometimes it feels like there's not enough time in the day because you're doing so much stuff that you enjoy or you're doing so much stuff that you think is meaningful. And other times it's just because you're firefighting or things coming in left, right and centre. Mm. And it's been a bit of both for me this week. Uh, unfortunately, people at work are still off due to COVID. Uh, they sound like they're in a healthy state, but not, not coming back anytime soon. So having to adjust around that. But on the flip side, um, I've been putting things in place for a new business. And that included doing some brand designs and also doing some website development. And this isn't an area of expertise for mine. It's something which I've kind of picked up along the way. But it's interesting because as I do, I learn. And I learn at a rapid rate. I'm in a state at work where I'm probably reaching a bit of a plateau in terms of that learning curve. But in some of my more entrepreneurial endeavors, the learning curve is always, almost always steep. So yeah, it's, it's, it's been a mixed bag for me, but I'm grateful for the, the opportunity to, to kind of stretch myself and develop. Do you know, as you say that, um, almost giving a quick spoiler to people, we're, we're going to be going through a, a superpower series. I think the ability to learn is a superpower. Oh, absolutely. And I think we need to add that because it's, there are some people, and the, the listeners right now will know this, you know some people who seem to just learn quicker than others. Now, you may have decided that this is purely down to their IQ. You may have decided this is down to genetics. But let's delve into some of the characteristics, the habits, the traits, the practices, the strategies that that individual implements to learn quickly. Because I firmly believe it can be learned how to learn. That metacognition of why you're doing what you're doing. Okay, I'm, I'm going on. Uh, second thing, yeah, COVID. <laughs> COVID is real, people. Yeah. Um, we, we've seen it within our, um, our own company, how it's impacted us, um, both for staff and with clients. But yes, in the workplace, it is unfortunately wearing its head everywhere where in, in good instances, people are just coming back after two or three weeks. In other instances, people aren't coming back at all. And it's, it's just not to be taken lightly. Unfortunately, we do live in this time period where people are losing the most valuable things to them. Um, and this goes beyond finances and business. Yeah. I think it would be good for us to to just talk a little bit about what you've already mentioned, which is superpowers and a new series that we're starting and how how we how we've made the decision to look at this in more detail. Yes. So in recent weeks you may have heard Abby and I well, particularly Abby, referring to this idea of superpowers. There's a conversation that Abby and I have been having both online and offline. And it's this idea that there are human qualities and traits which in the very near future may be seen as superpowers 
primarily because they are now becoming rarer. They are not explicitly being taught or even being accepted or requested from people. And thus, if you have them, you are going to win. You're going to win in business, but also in life and relationships. If you do not have them, this is the time to invest because it doesn't take a genius to say that the world is changing rapidly and things are rising and falling at an alarming rate and that can also happen with individuals. The number of people who've become overnight successes or millionaires just during this, let's say 12 month period of COVID is alarming. So let's start looking at these superpowers. One, for our own professional and personal development, but two, as a way of continuing to serve the people that we love. And the very first one that we're going to focus on is communication. Now, if you're tuning in, you haven't tuned in before, um, this is Expensive Lessons. It is a podcast where company directors share the fruits of their labours, but more importantly, they share the, the lessons, the challenges, the obstacles, the failures which brought them to this point. And we are now about to start a brand new series focusing on superpowers. The first is the ability to communicate. Abby. Now, when we talk about the ability to communicate as a superpower, I can imagine most of the people listening to this thinking, well, I'm a very good communicator. I've never had any critique about my ability to communicate and I very rarely have issues getting my point across or understanding other people's points. And what I have to say to that is that we all know an individual or maybe individuals who command a room when they're in it, who after an engagement with them or an interaction, you feel different. You feel either uplifted, you feel heard, you feel listened to, you feel inspired. Those people who are able to finish your sentence, even though they don't know you very well. Those people are able to articulate your thoughts even more effectively than you can articulate your thoughts yourself. Now, these people are elite level communicators. And I am by no means trying to say that I'm in that bracket. One of the reasons why I was so keen to start this podcast is because I thought it would be a really good way for me to enhance my communication skills, especially on off the cuff, speaking without any prompts. I don't believe that you need to be an elite communicator to talk about some of the principles which elite communicators have. So I really want people to have an open mind with this one when it comes to communication. I understand many people believe that they've already got this skill down. But my question to you is, how can we take this to the next level? I follow you. Yes, and, and, and this is a, a series where I am excited because I'm going to revisit and relearn and learn new things. Um, I'm, I'm a believer that memory is the residue of thoughts. And what that means is the things that we remember are chunks of things that we've previously thought about, but it's not the whole. So you, like me, might think, oh, yeah, I, rem I remember this, I know this. But what have you forgotten? And the things which I may have forgotten, which are going to be revisited now, are going to help me in my marriage, they're going to help me in my business, in my career, in my relationships. It's going to be incredible. 
One thing I often say to people who downplay communication or don't completely understand the significance of it is, have you ever been there when you have known and you've almost felt as if you could feel what you wanted to say, but you couldn't find the words to say it? Have you had that moment where the, the words were there somewhere, that the idea was there, but you couldn't just, you couldn't find the words to say it? This highlights the need for us to bridge that gap between language and thought. We've all been there when we've known what we wanted to say, but couldn't find the words. And that elite communicator is able to find those words, which might not be sophisticated words, and it might not necessarily be a great deal of words, but it's that perfect symphony of um, timing and emotional connection, which leads to their ideas being accepted and being executed. So we are going to delve into this and, and to do it, we've actually decided to call upon some of the greats, some of, some of the, the mythical greats. And one of the books that both Abby and I have um, read, I actually listened to it on the first time, was a book by a man called Dale Carnegie in the 1930s, a book which some of you may have heard of, called How to Win Friends and Influence People. Now, I am and I am not going to apologize for the title. It is a peculiar title. However, it is extremely apt. Your ability to communicate will win and lose you friends, will win and lose you partners, business, finances, opportunities. There are people who've talked themselves out of an opportunity. I've been there and I can look back and see the look on the people's eyes when they're probably saying, nope. <laughs> and at that time, I did not realize that I was talking myself out of a friendship, a relationship, an opportunity. Abby. Uh You've mentioned a few things that I want to draw out. I think it's important for us to take into consideration and reiterate that vocabulary, a broad range of it, a wide range in vocabulary doesn't necessarily make you a great communicator. Just because yeah. you have a whole lot of big words that you can spout um, in, in a sequence doesn't make you an effective communicator. And that's not what we're going to talk about here. In in some cases, or in most instances, I'd argue, a good communicator is able to get their point across using the simplest words possible. If you think about the best yes. teachers that you've ever had, uh, all of them were able to make extremely complex ideas sound very simple. They were able mm -hmm. to paint pictures, illustrations, and you know provide you stories in order to approximate or provide a metaphor for their ideas that were in their head. And I think that's really important. And why is it important to you? Well, it's going to be very difficult for you to go through life without a job interview or an interview of some form. And whether you're an entrepreneur or you work in the corporate side of things, you are going to be on one or both sides of the table. You'll either be employing people or you'll be hoping to be employed. And in both instances, effective communication is absolutely key. You may be the best person for the job, but if your communication skills do not allow you to convey that, then it's unlikely that you'd be able to, to succeed in that instance. Yes. You may have four or five candidates applying for a role within your business, but without you being able to 
tease out some of the important characteristics through conversation, you may actually select a weaker candidate for your role. And that's happened with me. Um, that's, that's happened on both sides of the coin. Mm-hmm. Um, and communication isn't just verbal. Communication is understanding the best medium in order for you to convey your point. It's not just about commanding a room. It's about understanding when speaking to somebody verbally isn't the best approach. Yes. And I want to kind of talk to the the fact that you've spoken about the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. It's interesting that it's split in half, win friends and influence people. By talking about communication, we're not talking about making you a likable person. Sometimes as a communicator, you may have to convey some very difficult bits of information. I'm sorry, but we're going to have to terminate your contract. I'm sorry, but this relationship isn't working out. We're not trying to make people likable. We're just trying to make people effective. And with that, you may not make friends, but you should be able to earn respect. And I think it's important for us to remember that within the context of this discussion, we are not talking about trying to make people more likable per se. We're trying to talk about how they can be more effective. And in some cases, those two things are the same, but not always. No, agreed. It's all about influence. And when we move on to leadership, Michael often recites that leadership power is influence. So in in terms of influencing people, we need to think about, before we delve into some of the, the nuggets in the book, why this is so powerful for us to make this really transparent. And so I'm trying to think of cases where on both sides, I have either successfully communicated or when I have failed in communicating. Um, I'm gonna start with a success to make myself feel better. I remember the business, the company. Um, and when I, when I look back, it was a company that was set up by a 25 year old whose target audience were predominantly 18 to 34 year old women who needed to be heard, needed to be appreciated and needed to be spoken to in a language that they understood. And what I had to do and the challenge in front of me was to adopt a language which was akin to theirs, not akin to mine. So the focus was not necessarily on myself or even on what I wanted, but on what they wanted and how they received information. That required studying, studying the messages that they sent, studying how they communicated to one another, studying how they received certain messages, being willing to actually start from scratch. And consequently, it enabled us to actually build a company which led to 30,000 plus clients in 59 countries, all being communicated in a way that they seem to understand. Now, I'm not alone in doing this. There are many people who are communicating to people who are not like them, but are able to convey views in a manner that that person will understand. And that must be the goal. Because at the very least, we are 7 billion different people. 
we can begin to start to categorize ourselves. But if we are going to truly communicate, we need to find a common language. And that often starts by putting the other person's interests first and listening. That's really powerful, bro. I'm keen to go in. Well, so, I think uh, you, you, sh- you, sh- you shared your story um, as, as a positive. I'm going to share a failing, actually. I'm going to share a failing of communication. Um, and I was 12 or 13 years old. And no, I must have been 13 years old because this uh, is related to uh, the army cadets. And I was on what they refer to as an NCO CADA, non-commissioned officer CADA. And this is when you go from just being uh, a cadet to being, uh, I guess, the first level of being a leader. It was, I was applying for the rank of Lance Corporal. And in order for you to be a Lance Corporal, you needed to uh, attend a leadership course. Well, it wasn't even a leadership course. It was a leadership um, assessment. And one of the things I needed to do was deliver a five-minute presentation to a room full of strangers about any topic. It couldn't be war and it couldn't be football. Um, I decided that I would do a presentation on smoking and how it's bad for you. The presentation was terrible. Um, I started over my words. Um, I kind of lost my train of thought and it just sounded like a five minute monologue regarding the the dangers and issues to do with smoking. Um, I scored very poorly and I didn't, I didn't succeed. I, I, I didn't, um, get the rank of Lance Corporal at the end of this weekend long assessment. Um, and part of the feedback that I received regarding my presentation was that I delivered a five-minute presentation about how terrible smoking was to a room where there were a lot of smokers. (laughs) Um, Which meant I didn't know my audience. Yep. Um, And I hope that it doesn't seem like a cop-out because I was 13 years old at the time, but that's something that always stuck with me, that you need to make sure that your message is tailored to your audience. That is, it's unbelievably powerful on, on numerous ways, or in numerous ways. One, because it reminds me of what Maxwell says before he speaks. So John Maxwell, a <clears throat> world-around public speaker, often gets there early and invests time speaking to the people prior to actually presenting to them. And he does this strategically because he knows that actually what he's already planned might not be fit for purpose. And thus that time speaking to the people on the ground is valuable opportunities to gather new information as to what do they actually want. Um, two, that experience is invaluable because it reminds us all that we can truly feel like what we are doing is right and what we are saying is right, but we can end up losing. We can end up leaving feeling as if, hold on, wasn't this message which I thought everyone was going to agree with, which was almost like a common truth, going to be just a, a no-brainer, an easy win? How, how has it gone like this? And that can happen. I think many people can resonate with that, where 
you've gone into a conversation, you felt slash knew that you were in the right. But how did you leave feeling as if you were in the wrong? It's the power of communication. Yeah, and just to add to that, if you find yourself regularly in situations where you feel like everybody else has got poor communication, or everybody else communicates in an odd way in comparison to you, then the likelihood is, is that it's up to you to reevaluate the way that you communicate as opposed to everybody else reevaluating the way yeah. that they communicate. Yeah. Let's dive in, bro. Let's go for it. Now, if you have not read or listened to Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People, I strongly recommend that you do. Please do not get caught up on the title. <clears throat> to try to sell a book which does not need to be sold. Uh, this is a book which has sold millions and millions of copies since the 1930s. Ridiculous. It's a book which so many um, renowned business professionals and world leaders have referenced and used as just a, a how-to guide on universal principles, on treating people with integrity and influencing people. This is not about manipulation. This is about finding win-wins and, as soppy as it might sound, being a better person. Um, our good friend Dale, if I can call him that, has fortunately categorised his book into four sections. And we're going to really delve into the first three. Part one, <clears throat> techniques in handling people. Techniques in handling people. The reality is, if you are a leader, which you are, I, you've got a brother who is troublesome or a child who needs attention or a partner who is acting like a child or a boss who you question why on earth are they a boss? You are constantly handling people. And there are three ways in which we can think about doing this better. And we're going to go into each one. Number one, he recommends don't criticize, condemn or complain. Now we've all been there. And when I said at the beginning of this, that this is going to be a time for me to learn and relearn this is the first one which hit me because whilst i know this i can very easily fall into the trap of critiquing because that's my personality type i, I critique internally mentally i find opportunities to improve however how might someone feel if they constantly see themselves as being critiqued condemned abby how have you experienced it yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think from from my perspective, me and you are quite similar in the fact that I feel very comfortable around criticism because I criticize myself more than anyone else can. Mm -hmm. um, so most of the times if somebody is giving me some feedback, it's something which I've taken into consideration about myself already. Um, so I, I'm, I'm very comfortable around criticism and my error is believing that other people can be similarly comfortable. Yes. Also, once again, I think with my background um, in, in you know, doing military training, working um, at quite a senior level from a very young age, I've been criticized pretty much since the age of, well, I was going to say it's pretty much since the age of 12, 13, but that's not true because I've got a Nigerian mum. So um, I've been criticized my whole life. And I understand that a lot of it comes from a place of love. But 
that's not necessarily the way that the rest of the world will see this. I mean, just as I said that, I, I, I thought back to the days when we used to work at a call center and it'd be the weekend and the teams that we were leading weren't performing well and we had to make that phone call. <laughs> we had to make that we had to make that phone call to our boss and explain, listen, they're not performing well. And the feedback that we received <laughs> was very straight to the point because our boss was probably at a football match at the time. Yeah, and he didn't have much time to be comforting. He just literally laid into us, um, and because of that, it can be quite easy to believe that that's the norm. But ultimately, a different approach could have led to a more effective outcome. The thing about criticism, the thing about condemning, is it's all very external. What you're doing when you say, when you criticize, and when you condemn. Is what you is is you're placing the rest of the world at fault for the way that you feel, and that's what we're really talking about here. We're talking about the way that we feel, and when when we do that, we're removing ourselves from the situation. Yes. So, some people may look at that and say, "Okay, well, how how do I get my point across if I don't criticize, if I don't condemn, if I don't complain?" Well, the answer to that is to look at it and to talk about it from your your perspective rather than saying your the piece of work that you delivered yesterday was terrible and you need to improve here here and here from your perspective you can say i really had difficulty following your train of thought or I didn't really understand where you were trying to take it could you explain it further now you're doing it the same you're, you're, you're trying to get to the same outcome but the language that you use changes it from being an external thing which is look how terrible this piece of work is it's all your fault to an internal thing which is I'm trying to understand the way you're thinking and yes. I don't um, and one of the things that you said at the at the start of this is that this talk is about becoming a better person. I can't agree with that more because I don't want people to be disingenuous. I want people to be more reflective. And in order for us to really be better communicators, we really have to identify our own faults and flaws and remove them if possible so i think i'll kick off with with that thought process which is when we're criticizing we're looking at it from an external perspective and what we should try to do when we're communicating our concerns is to look at it from an internal perspective mm. what that does is that it then empowers the individual rather than condemning them and convicting them because when we critique as we all have and we, we condemn and we potentially complain we are castrating, that's probably the, the wrong verb, we are shackling the individual and making them powerless. And inevitably they're going to be on the defensive because we are imposing a truth upon them rather than allowing them to convey their truth. So through the anecdote that Abby shared where you're stating your own inability to understand it, they are then encouraged to help you understand it. 
consequently, they might realize actually how in inaudible, inarticulate, in, incomprehensible it might actually be, that it's not easily followed. So they are thanking you now because, oh, this could have been um, extremely embarrassing, but you've actually helped me to understand how I need to improve this so that when another person sees it, who is going to critique me and condemn me, they don't. It's, it's extremely powerful. And again, it's, it's reframing the conversation, um, internal to external, empowering to disempowering. I want to talk about complaining because we've delved into critiquing and condemning. Complaining, as we can easily fall into the trap of complaining, but often forget how damaging it can be to cultures and environments. As individuals and as leaders, we do set tones and climates. And if you are constantly complaining or you bring in a, a, a habit of complaining, it will bring about a more negative and more critical environment, which will inevitably hinder growth and progress, rather than an environment where people are feeling free and liberated to experiment and create. Then that opportunity to experiment and create will bring about solutions. That environment, that dome of complaining, will hinder all creativity, lateral thinking, and inevitably bring an end to whatever you are involved in. And often people don't see it that way. They don't see how their complaining can impact another because it's mm. their complaining. They're just getting off their chest. I'm just saying it with my chest. I've got, I live with my heart on my sleeves. That, yes, that might sound really poetic, but we are interconnected. And I cannot help but leave a conversation taking something that you have brought and it goes back to, I think there was, a, there was a film at some point, which suggested that energy is transferable, good and bad. If you come into the conversation with a lot of negative energy and you leave, that person's left there in their office, in their seat, in their car, um, at, the, at the aisle, still with that negative energy. It is palpable. And yeah, I'd say when we're talking about the concept of complaining... I think it's important to exercise patience. Um, number one, if you are in an environment where people aren't performing to the standard that you'd like, I think it's important that you understand that these people aren't trying to maliciously ruin your day. Um, and the technique or the approach that I normally imply instead of complaining is questioning. So... If there's something that I don't understand, I will, rather than once again make it an external thing, I'll try and convert it to an external thing, which is, how, why have you done it this way? Or what, what is your intention? What are your, what, what's your thinking? Um, and once again, as you mentioned previously, it empowers the other person. So it, it's, it's something that I encourage. Um, and once again, it needs to come from a genuine place because next time you feel like complaining and you go, okay, well, in that podcast I listened to, they said you should ask a question, so I'm just going to complain in a question format. Like, you know, you've, um, you know, someone's left their clothes on the floor, for instance, at home, or someone hasn't completed a report. A question isn't necessarily, 
oh, why have you left the clothes on the floor? Or, oh, why haven't you completed? So that's still complaining. It's just you putting it in a question form. But it's about asking a question that actually helps you delve into the person's psyche a bit more. Mm. You know, if somebody has left clothes on the floor in in at, at home, for instance, maybe the question is, you know, is is the way that things are currently organized uh in 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 the room not suitable to you or something like that you know do you have do you have um uh, challenges finding where to put your stuff um and wait for a question and honest you know it's all about being you know asking these things righteously really um yeah. if somebody isn't finishing their report on time how are you getting on with that report are you did you have some difficulty um is there anything i can help with and this is why I think it is about being a better person. Because if you say this stuff and it's disingenuous, it's not righteous, then most people can see straight through that, yes. number one. And you're not going to get the desired outcome. And also, you're lying, effectively. So you're not, you're not going to feel good in yourself because you know that you're lying to yourself and someone else. So it has to be righteous, I think. When, when dealing with something that actually makes you want to complain, trying to delve into who that person is and why they've gotten themselves in a situation which has made you dissatisfied, what you can do about it. Mm. And I, I think that... Tone. Sorry, carry on. It's, sorry, I just said it, it sets the tone because it's reciprocal. If, if you do that, then they will do that. If you become introspective and reflective on how and why the situation might be, they will also, in mm. time... Uh, continue well I, I think it leads on to another point in that first section which is about giving honest and sincere appreciation yeah um so we've talked about not criticizing condemning or complaining but then the flip side of that is you should speak up when you have something of uh you know appreciation to say now this can be a double-edged sword because the first thing I've said is you have to be r righteous in your communication. If if you're if if you're not actually appreciative of what somebody has done, then once again that can very clearly be communicated in your non-verbal uh, cues. But what this calls for you to do is be a more observant and more appreciative person. Once again, you've got to be a better person because you need to look for the things that you appreciate. Um, and it has to be honest. And compliments go a long way. Sincere compliments go a long way. Um, there are some people who compliment you who you give no attention to because they compliment absolutely everything. But there are other people who kind of maybe hold that that father role or that mentor role in your life who maybe are less complimentary. But when they hit you with that compliment, you're almost knocked back because you know that they meant it. And I think there's yeah. probably a balance somewhere in between where it's not so rare that people feel like, oh my, this is you know, just amazing. This is you know, earth-shaking. But also... Um, not so frequent to the point that this means nothing to me. What do you think? It's it's understated, as you mentioned, the, the power of affirmation. Mm. We are 
We are very simple human beings, in, in, in all ways good and bad. And what we all crave and desire, and, and you can go back to almost Maslow's hierarchy of needs, is just affirmation that we are doing a good job, that we're actually being appreciated for who we are. And if you want someone to continue doing something, you, and you've seen it, mention it. Because there is that in, inherent desire for continued affirmation, almost like the, the dog, forgive me for using this analogy, who has jumped and got a cookie, they will continue to do it because they're going to accept that same affirmation. Mm. Now, the danger is that you will then fall into the trap of your words being meaningless because you're not being sincere. And that's why it is about sincerity, giving honest and sincere appreciation. But doing it, one, makes that person feel better about themselves. Two, multiplies that instance occurring. And that's what you want. And if you can almost lift yourself out of focusing on your own issues and challenges and start to focus on other people's issues and challenges, you will then realize that yours will be solved because you are mm. affirming what they are doing, which is making your life or your interests easier. It goes back to the Rowan or Ziegler quote of um, helping enough people get what they want and then you will eventually get what you want. Mm. We love those who are able to give sincere appreciation because unfortunately we live in a fractured and broken world where it is rare. Absolutely. And it's just an easy way to stand out. Um, the, the, the last area uh, in that first part, or one of the, the last points that I want to refer to is the importance of arousing in the other person an eager want, giving somebody else insight into what you're looking for. Mm. Um, and I refer to this as providing an aspirational vision for the future. Abby, sorry, pause there. I'm going to pause at 3, 38 minutes, 20 seconds on that point. Um, Joanna's has escaped. We need to put her back in the pound. <laughs> I don't know where I'm... I, I think I might keep this in. I think oh, I might uh, keep this in. <laughs> let me just... She's escaped. Do we know where she is? She's in the ceiling. I was actually going to delve into talking about providing uh, an aspirational vision of the future. But before I do that, I want to go back a little bit and ask you a question about that, that one that we just spoke about, uh, giving sincere and honest appreciation. How important is sincere and honest appreciation to you? It is, over time I've learned that it's the golden ticket in every aspect of my life. We live in a world where everyone is extremely busy and everyone feels as if they're almost overworked. And you are working with these people who feel busy, overworked and inferring underappreciated. So for, for you to actually work alongside them and to have a positive relationship, at some point you need to pause and see the role that they have in your life, appreciate the role that they have in your life, because they are not 
they don't have to be there. They don't have to do what they are doing. And they could do it at a far worse rate than they currently are. And that's it's something which I've had to learn to show within my, my marriage, within my parenting, within business relationships, within, within every person that I communicate with, I need to show appreciation. It goes to the point where I now thank someone who's presented because I know that they would have been really nervous presenting. And I know that everyone's now just left and gone to do what they're doing. And that person's wondering, did that bang? Did, did, did my message actually get through? So go to that person and say to them, you know, well done. Um, I really like that point on X, Y, and Z. And I know that it probably would have been a bit nerve wracking you doing this. Leave that person with that feeling of, oh, actually, at least one person. At least I've got that information back that this was meaningful. I'll take it a step further and suggest that there are many people who take their own lives because there isn't meaningful affirmation. Their existence in their own lives, eyes, is meaningless. If they disappeared, no one would actually care. And thus that moment of just stopping, forgetting your own interests and appreciating another for what they are doing, helps them to remember that they matter. This is Afalabi in a nutshell, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I asked him a question about how appreciation impacts him, and then he talks about how he needs to serve others. I'm going to ask you the question again. <laughs> <laughs> how important is appreciation to you? Okay, directly for me. <laughs> Nobody asks you those questions, do they? How are you no. doing? <laughs> no, do you know, it, it, it's, and th this is a point worth not just staying over because I, I read that in terms of other people because I, I, I believe in servant leadership. I believe that we are here to help others and that is what will actually help us be better. We feel better helping others. But in terms of me receiving it, Genuinely, I wish I received it more often because I think for such a long period of my life, I've played that role of having to cater for other people's emotional well-being and their own development. And it, it would be nice to actually have that affirmation. I often joke with friends that I envy my son <laughs> because mm. he has, and this is very arrogant of me, he has such a loving father. Like, <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs> Like, he has an experience, a reality, which I can't even fathom and understand. Like, his dad behaves him and then reads books to him and plays with him constantly and, and disciplines him. Like, he's like, like this Jekyll and Hyde character goes from scolding him to, to running around with him. And there's just laughter and love, but there's affirmation. And uh, a psychologist out there will be saying, oh, this guy, is he's desperately craving that. But yes, I am. I would love that. I found that in a few people, in, a, in, in a, a, a small number of people. And that is, is, is enough for me. But it highlights that we, we all need it to ensure that what we are doing is meaningful and that we are not just exhausting ourselves. I am not that person. And I think that just is probably because I'm somewhat broken. Um, I, I think appreciation is nice, but it makes me extremely uncomfortable. Verbal appreciation. If you say any comments to me 
um, that are particularly complimentary or pick me out, um, I will skirt past it as fast as I possibly can and move on to something else. And as I've grown older, I realize that it's probably from a place of brokenness. Um, a, a very brief example, uh, you and I were in a, a team meeting not too long ago, and I had an idea about how we could share information with mm. our users in a more effective way. And you responded with, yeah, just some really fantastic affirmation, which was very genuine. And if I was a white person, I would have gone bright red because I would be <laughs> blushing. And I couldn't even respond. I was so uncomfortable. I just moved past it. Um, and I think for me, that just highlights that appreciation isn't something that I fully come to get to grips with. Um, and this isn't a therapy session. Um, so we won't delve into that too much. But yeah, I just think that part of it is probably if you go so long without receiving appreciation, you become comfortable living without it. Yes. Um, and therefore it becomes difficult for you to to register this information because this is alien code in your system, in your software, and you don't know what to do with it. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, that's, that's, that's my experience with it at the moment. But as I said, I think it probably comes from a, a, a place of, of brokenness which needs to be addressed. Um, but I, I mention that also because people are going to respond differently to appreciation. And I need to take that into consideration when giving feedback to people. I know that there are some people who do not want to be singled out in a group and told yes. how fantastic they are, but are happy to receive an email which they can take a couple of minutes to digest and then respond back. Um, and I don't know what the split looks like. I'm sure there are more more people like you than there are like me, but who knows? But yeah, it's just useful to take that into consideration when we are giving people feedback. Yes, it's, it's crucial to, to know who the recipient and how they wish to receive the information. And as you say, there are so many people, there are many of us who are so used to not receiving positive affirmation that they've numbed themselves to it. And someone listening right now might identify someone like that in their lives and think, or maybe I should have persisted longer because they were just a hard shell. They were a Scrooge who had hardened over time. First of all, shame on us for thinking that we could cover Dale Carnegie's book in just one episode. We've only really touched upon part one, and I don't really want to go any further than part one in this this episode. I want to keep delving into no. that um, in, in, in more detail. Um, so techniques in handling people is his first part. Now, I think there's a flip side to this because we're talking about handling people. And that term takes me back to me being about 21 years old and being on a date with a girl at university, 2021, and her saying something along the lines of, do you think you, I don't think you can handle me. And me responding, yeah, you're probably right. 
I probably can't. And that being the last engagement I had with that person. Um, and I've always been that way in terms of being very protective over my time and also being very good at looking at dead ends potentially. And I think that's an important consideration in this because we're talking about techniques in handling people. And I think the first judgment that we need to make, and life is about judgments, the first judgment we need to make when dealing with people is, is this somebody who I should try to handle? Now, we find ourselves in spaces where this is unavoidable. So if you're not an employer, you can't just... Um, find somebody else you can't just end this person's contract um if you are if this is a family member if this is a partner uh, if this is a close friend then these are all times when ending the relationship isn't suitable but then there are other instances when this you're dealing with somebody or you're trying to handle somebody who isn't necessarily going to get with your program and it's yeah. not about being cutthroat it's not about being ruthless but it's about making an honest assessment of the situation and saying it would probably be best for both people if we didn't engage in this area what do you think about it take a ball and go home <laughs> now this is shout out to all of our um you know, i don't want to call them the loyals but those who've been with us from the very beginning because they will understand exactly what that phrase means yeah take your ball and go home now i've said that in a, in a certain manner to, to hark back to our forming episode when relationships are being formed you are identifying um opportunities for synergies you're identifying the strengths and the weaknesses etc etc but in that process, you also identify who you definitely need on your team, but also who you might not. That person might still be on your team, but you've acknowledged that actually they do not have the requirements to fulfill that role long term. Take your ball and go home. Now, I'm not saying to be rude. I'm not saying to be dismissive. But what I am saying is to early on acknowledge that there is a end point to the interaction. Now, some people are listening to this and thinking about relationships. Other people are listening to this thinking about um, business prospects. Other people might be thinking about um, job opportunities. If it does not truly fit with what you have reflected in being your mission and your vision, then you're actually doing a disservice to that person in, in wasting their time if you have a choice don't waste your time don't waste their time um, and it, it could be in a mature sense a very honest and helpful conversation between the two of you where you acknowledge that i've just been reflecting upon this and i'm, I'm wondering how i can actually help you in this endeavor encouraging them to really think about oh, oh are you fit for them because again this is all about the other person so it's not about you dumping them. It's about you actually acknowledging that you might not be the best fit for them. They want someone to produce X. You're producing Y. You're trying to make Y fit into their X. Let it go. Yeah, and I would say let it go, but keep the door open. And what I mean by that is, this is I, 
if 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 we were talking solely on that particular point, take your ball and go home. I am the master. I'm an expert. I'm fantastic at cutting ties. Um, like I am, I, I, I've got to say, I am really, really good at that. Um, I have to say, like most of the people who I have cut ties with don't even know that I've cut ties with them. Um, and the beauty around that is potentially the reason why we've, you know, parted ways isn't because of a lack of um appreciation from either people's part it's just there's an incongruence with the way that we work and sometimes because i've evolved or because they've evolved we've now reached a point where we can work so i cut ties with you and you didn't know and then you reached out to me and all of a sudden we've clicked you know we can now work together um, and this is this this is really effective when it, for me anyway from from a corporate stance because anybody who works in a corporate environment knows that in order for you to succeed in any kind of project you need a, a wide range of stakeholders to yes. to help you push things through but some of your stakeholders are actually working against you they don't actually want you to succeed. Or they're trying to help you, but don't realize that they're doing the exact opposite. Now, those yeah. people, I've learned over time not to involve, if possible. Now, fortunately, I'm in a position where I can work around people to get what I need done. As soon as that person has aligned their approach to me, or as soon as I've aligned my approach to that person, they can come back into the stakeholder map. But while our objectives seem to be at opposite ends there is no benefit for us collaborating so so that's something that i i I use quite a lot in 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 my working life just to ensure that i'm actually making progress and i think it's really important not everybody who you engage with should be handled you shouldn't try to handle everyone because there are some people who actually require 50 percent of your mental capacity and will only provide you with 5% of the benefit. Yes. yes. That is a, is a great, that is a great preface almost to his third strategy, which mm-hmm. was to arouse in other people an eager want. Because at the end of discussing that, we could easily say, actually, there, there are some people that they're, they're never going to get to that point. And mm-hmm. how much you will invest in them getting to that point might be counterproductive in terms of just your capacity and your bandwidth. Um, but just touching upon that, that final point, which it, it does link to the, the corporate world, and many people have seen this beforehand, there could be a great idea. But if the stakeholders are not running with it, it might not lift off. And what you, we as effective communicators must often do is humble ourselves and allow other people to own that idea and almost claim it as their own. It, it just, it's the psychology of allowing that brilliant idea to be cooked and stirred by others. Because you're just planting the seeds and you're planting the seeds with the power of the question and the suggestion and the presentation of evidence. And you know what where you're steering this, you know where you want it to go. But because you know that those stakeholders are so influential and powerful, you cannot get it to its fullest form 
without their involvement. So by presenting the question, by uh, just plowing the ground and fertilizing the conversation, and you could get them to the point of realizing what needs to be done, and they might not do it, or hopefully realizing what needs to be done, and they create their own iteration of what you originally presented. I speak about this now because I'm currently in, in that forming stage in a new organization, and I'm doing just that, where on the one hand, I'm seeing, okay, there's a, a time limit here. We really need to get this out as soon as possible. And I know what it looks like. However, I can either force it and impose it on people who are going to drive it and it not be driven effectively. Or I can present it to them as a, a draft, a copy, an idea for them to deconstruct and then reconstruct to the point that it almost matches exactly the same original model, just so that they can say that they created it and then they mm. can run with it. And then I'll promote them running their thing. That's really good. Um, we've all probably been in a situation where we've had a fantastic idea or an amazing plan or project idea. And we dreamt about it and we've, we've considered how it would work. And we've engaged so many people in order to um, uh, make it a reality and, We've, we, we've shaped it and it, it just feels right. It feels perfect. And as soon as anyone hears it, they're going to be turned on by it immediately. But in reality, when you share it with your immediate team or when you share it with people around you, it falls flat. And this fantastic, amazing idea, this inspirational suggestion that you had has now kind of crumbled and it's gone from being technicolor into different shades of gray. And you just mm. can't understand why the people who you wanted it to inspire feel uninspired by it. And I'd argue mm. that it's two reasons. I'd argue that it's either because they can't see themselves in your vision. Mm. There isn't a place for themselves in the vision that you've created. Or they can see themselves in the vision that you've created and they couldn't imagine anything worse. And I think it's really important when we're telling those stories, when we've got a vision or a project or an idea that we want to initiate, how is the person that you're telling the story to going to be impacted by your story, by your vision, by your idea? Because if... You're telling me a story and all I can think about is how I'm going to be negatively impacted by it. Subconsciously, I want to destroy your story. I don't want it to happen because I'm thinking, okay, this is work for me. Um, if you've told me a story and I'm unaffected by it at all, then I'm my, my thought process is going to be, why do I even need to be involved in this? Why do I need to know about this whatsoever? Um, yeah. So I, I think that's a very important point for people. You need to, what, what, what Dale Carnegie talks about is create an ego want. You need to demonstrate to people what it is that you want. Um, but you also need to, as he said, arouse in the other person an ego want. Create something that they are going to want to latch on. And you do that by yes. creating... Uh, a view of how their lives are going to change for the better as a result. 
And I'd argue that that's probably the most impactful thing that you can do when communicating with somebody. Um, if you can leave a conversation with somebody and they believe that as a result of that conversation, they are now inspired, then I think that's probably one of the biggest gifts that someone can take away. It's the power of psychology. That one individual who could have been performing an X-ray now has the battery on their back because they believe that there's an, uh, an ambassador. They believe that there is a conduit. They, they believe that there's a potential partner, consultant, someone there to fuel them, to back them, to keep it going. And that idea may originally have been yours, but it doesn't matter because they see how their life is going to be improved. And in almost conclusion for me, with all of those three key points in terms of how to handle people, that the reoccurring theme, which is which is almost understated, is that inherently we as human beings are selfish. Mm-hmm. And as a result of this, we must allow the other person to prioritize what they care about the most. And thus we shouldn't crit- criticize and complain. We should be honest and affirm them. We should allow them to build what they're interested in building because that is the only way where we're truly going to get them to one, work collaboratively with us, but two, help them to understand what we are communicating because it will be said in their language and under their terms. So we have three sections. Don't criticize, condemn, or complain. Give honest and sincere appreciation. Arouse in the other person an eager want. Three areas. Now, homework. I'd love for people to give themselves a score out of five for those three areas. Where are you currently now? And that hopefully will help us identify the areas that they need that that we need to develop on. But I think it would be a cop out if we didn't do the same ourselves. So let's do mm. it live. So those three areas, out of five, you can give yourself half marks. As you know, let's take it away. Let's take out half marks. No half marks. So one to five. Five being I am fantastic. One being I need serious help and to, to improve <laughs> on this particular area. Afalavi, where would you score yourself on those three points? Sure. I'm going to do this again in other factors of my life. Because in my head, I'm doing this within my marriage, as well as other really important areas. So I'm seeing how I might be scoring lower in certain areas than others. But as a whole, as a human being, I would give myself a a two for don't criticize, condemn and complain. Largely because I've been, because I know so much what it's like not to have, I often laugh at what people complain about. It's like, this isn't that big a deal. No one's dying. Like, <laughs> it's really not that big a deal. Um, so I'll give myself a two in that. Give honest and sincere appreciation. I don't do that enough. I don't do that anywhere enough. I'm going to give myself a three. Arousing other person and eager want. I'm going to give myself a... Oh, there are no half marks. It's, it's hard when there's no half marks. <laughs> it's hard. I wanted to give myself one. half. That is one, and many people who are doing this also will realize that we know this, but we don't execute it. That is one which I know that I can do really well. I'm good at selling. 
I'm good at getting people to to believe and know that this is beneficial for them and run with it. I can share a compelling story. Do I do it often enough? So I'm going to give myself a three. So I've gone two, three, three. Mm. Okay, yeah. what am I, I going to I've been harsh. Don't criticize, condemn, or complain. Again, with you, I'd say that this is going to be different comparing my work life compared to my home life. But if I had to give myself an overall score, I would give myself a two. Give honest and sincere appreciation. Now, this is a difficult one because I give very honest and very sincere appreciation. The issue with that is I just don't give it regularly enough. Mm. Um, and I do it more at work than I do at home because I deal with millennials and millennials need <laughs> regular <laughs> affirmation in order for them to achieve. So I take more time to do it. Like I send email, I send emails on a regular basis to people at work saying, you did a fantastic job today in that presentation or I had a conversation with so-and-so and as a result, you know, they really kind of said said that you're doing some good work. Well done. Um, but at home, I'm going to give it a two. I'm going to give it a two because I think it needs a lot of work to, yes. to be a, to, for me to be well-rounded. Arousing the other person an eager want. It's, it's difficult because based on feedback, even feedback that we've received from this podcast, I can say that we're definitely influencing people effectively. I'm saying that people, based on what we've shared, even during this podcast, we've been able to arouse a want in others. Because people want to to improve in some instances and they want to kind of develop their thinking. And I've had some fantastic conversations as a result. But I'm, I'm going to give myself a two. And the reason I'm going to give myself a two is because like you, I know I can do so much more. Mm. And even if I move from just a two to a three, which is what I'm going to try and do over the next couple of weeks, in all facets. I want to see oh, what you type of impact. Two to a one. So you said that one was um, incredible and five was horrendous. No, it's the other way around. So, okay. 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 So, so one is I need help and five is I'm fantastic. Okay. So I'm going to give myself a two there, which is, Five is I'm fantastic. Two is where I think I am right now. Um, so two across the board. I think with two and three, give honest and sincere appreciation and arouse another, another person, an eager one. We do it. But the question is frequency. And this is a Absolutely. question which I'll have for Dale Carnegie um, as the master behind this. Again, he hasn't come up with these principles. These principles existed well beyond him and can be found in the Holy Bible. Uh, how often should this be done? And that is a question which no one will have a real definitive answer because you could do some of these too often and thus they will no longer be sincere. 
and potentially sincere appreciation for one person might be doing it once a month but for another person in their environment might be doing it once a week so for the listener doing this only you will know what the right metric is but it's, it's worth really reflecting on how whilst these are universal our responses and our use of them will differ our frequency of use of them will differ depending upon our environments agreed and it, it requires emotional intelligence for us to understand when we are doing it too much or too little mm. i think it's an in interesting discussion point i think it's interesting that both of us said that we're doing it too little so mm. i think it's a bit of a cop-out answer to that question but it may just be when you know you know yes and that is it when you know you know um as a great man once said to me when women go shopping and attendants ask them can i help you and then they say no and they are persistent because they're trying to do a good job. Women often say, well, I'll know when I see it. They don't know mm. what they want, but they'll know when they see it. And you will know when you've hit the sweet spot because you will get the output. Other people's, other people's responses will show you that you're doing this correct. And I started this by saying that this is a fantastic opportunity for me to relearn and remind myself of the really important traits and characteristics and this is what's going to fuel my next week because the power of communication is the power to liberate it's the power to empower it's the power to make people happy before they're making progress and that is something that we should all intentionally invest in none of us have made it This has been another episode of Expensive Lessons where company directors share the lessons that they've learned over a period of troubleshooting, communicating, succeeding and failing and getting to a position where we want to grow. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear your scores. We look forward to seeing you next week. Take care. Take care all.